Yikes. After seven straight wins, the Mets were swept in Tampa over the weekend. What the hell happened? We'll break down the rough three losses to the Rays, the brutally long injury list, and the upcoming series with the Braves. Our special guest this week is the Mets public address announcer at City Field. It's Colin Cosell. So lock into the show and try not to get hurt while doing so. Next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Let's take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. And now, here they are. Brooklyn Zone. Number 27. The F-I-double-G-I-E. Nelson Figueroa. Astoria's finest. Number 69, it's Jay Swizzy, Jake Brown. Welcome back to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here, Nelson Figueroa there, Jake Brown Radio, Figgy NY is where you can find us on Twitter. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts, but give us that five-star rating right in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Joining us later in the show will be Mets public address announcer. You just heard him in that grand intro. That would be Colin Cosell. But speaking of public addressing, we have to publicly address the Mets' misfortunes over the weekend. In Tampa, Figgy, it was rough. The team was swept. The pitching stunk. The bat stunk. But the worst part of the weekend, Figgy, is they are truly limping their way into the dirty south, into Atlanta. They're working their way north to the ATL, and they are the walking wounded. There are 12 players right now hurt for this team. It's literally half of the roster is out. There's only so much the bench mob could do. The Mets kind of are getting overexposed right now, Figgy, and we saw it over the weekend, and it doesn't help when their starters like McCann and Lindor aren't hitting either. So the combination of starters not hitting with bench players playing a little bit too much is a recipe for disaster for this Mets team. Yeah, we were praising just, you know, a few sh- three games ago how having that depth was going to, you know, really be something that carried this team and continued the momentum of that winning streak. However, they ran into a team that played better baseball all the way around. The pitching just could not possibly keep up the pace that they were pitching at over that seven-game win streak. You know, they were pitching as a team to a 1.74 ERA, and they just couldn't stay as perfect. Peterson did a fantastic job getting all the way into the eighth inning and uh, before the wheels fell off on the bullpen blowing it. And uh, Castro having to be in every game or every other game this season is starting to wear thin with him as well. Diaz hadn't pitched in a long, long time. You could see the rust on him today. It was a very bad series in Tampa Bay, and it went from bad to worse to just downright ugly with the shellacking of Stroman today it seemed like they knew what was coming out of his hand after the first time through the lineup you know he got through the first three innings unscathed and you know keith was praising his slider would look like it had just different movement on it then all of a sudden he was every time he released a fastball it just got sent back even faster it released at 92 and it got hit back at 105 and they just seemed to be on certain pitches and struck me a little bit because they they know him pretty well in the american league east and they've had success against him before and it was kind of like oh yeah that's what he used to do whether it was a tell, whether it was some way that he was tipping his pitches, they didn't miss a fastball after that. The sinker definitely did not have the same life that it's had on it at times this year. Uh, the slider flattened out after a little while. Even he threw a really good cutter, I thought, up and in 
for the third home run. And it was a pitch that somehow not only got the barrel to it, but was able to drive it out of the ballpark pretty convincingly. So he had a bad day at the office. Everybody did this weekend. This is one of those weekends that it's a reality check. You're not as good as you think you are when everything is going perfect. And you're not as bad as you think you are when everything is, you know, going by the wayside like it did this weekend. So it's a little reality check, but even better, get back in the National League East and have a chance to try and get back in the win column uh, against the Braves starting tomorrow night. It's been a few episodes since we got a Bradley Cooper, Nelson Figueroa by the wayside line, but there it is. We got one in. We got to hit the quote, I think, every show to get by the wayside. You know, it was a bad showing, too, of managers and how much better Kevin Cash is than Luis Rojas. You saw him manage his bullpen quite effectively against the Mets, and he does it more than anyone in the league. He, you know, uses openers. He puts guys in here, there. Oh, they tried to do an opener. They tried that in game two, and you saw the disaster that happened, the whole... But how many more got- times do we have to get to see Joey, Lucchesi, Lucchesi, potato, potato, spaghetti, spaghetti? How many more times do we need to see him out there? Where is Jordan Yamamoto? Lucchesi, I don't, I don't even care now. We'll have a guy pronunciation expert on later in the show. That's his job. It's not mine. Lucchesi... He hasn't been good. How many more times do we need to see him out there? And then Friday night, Figgy, inexcusable. David Peterson hasn't gotten past six all year. He goes into the eighth, and Luis Rojas has nobody warming. Coming off an off day where you have all arms available, how do you have no one ready? And then even after the homer, he got no one. It took another double till someone got up, and you're putting the young pitcher in such a bad position. As soon as that homer happens, a 450-foot blast by Mike Zuzzi, Nino, you should have had Trevor May in that game with the bases empty. He had no one ready. He's not experienced enough. And listen, he's costing the team games. And when this team is undermanned, you need a manager to put your players in good positions. Luis Rojas is not putting his players in good positions. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Cash, I mean, do you really think so? Today, the the starter was cruising through five. What did he have, 53 pitches or something like that? And he pulled them and brought in his closer in the sixth inning. Up six to one or whatever the score is at five nothing or something like that early on before uh, Mazika magic happened yes. again. I don't know if that's overmanaging or remember what happened in the World Series. That that is something that will haunt him for the rest of his career to take out Blake Snell as he's dealing, trying to get deep into the ball game. And he's like, oh no, that's good. Two times through the lineup, we're just going to go with what the formula says. They invented the formula, but they did not invent the wheel of baseball. So I give them credit for a lot of the things that they've done and how they've stayed at the top of the American League East for so long, not having that payroll and not having the players, the superstars in those lineups and being able to have the flexibility to even trade. Every time they have a superstar, they trade them away and get four new pieces that seem to just roll out of bed, come in and, and take off. And if Manuel Mar go plays against anybody else in baseball i would if i was him i would just go on the 10-day dl and just wait for the mets to come back to town or something because he absolutely owns the he's Mets. The chipper I, jones of of bet killers right now i i mean it, it was unreal it did not matter who it was it did not matter the count it did not matter the situation this man was just hitting absolute missiles the whole series long so it was like i said it was a reality check and the Mets needed it, but more so it, it's really concerning about all the injuries and the injuries are just not just mounting, but you're waiting on MRIs, you're waiting on. And when you talk about soft tissue things or hamstrings where it's not, wasn't like guy went down and you, okay, it's a torn hamstring. You could tell when you have those in between hamstring injuries, the lingering ones, the ones that you think you're okay with, it was like McNeil. He had warmed up before the game and did his normal running and he said he was fine. Good to go. But when the adrenaline kicks in and you're trying to beat out a ground ball and, and you run through the 
bag and at the end he just kind of tried to overstride and that's where you could tell that he did something wrong that's where those kind of little things they don't pop up until it's game situation where somebody's going extra hard or they're trying to do a little bit extra and the same that's thing happened those- at conforto they both have these hamstring injuries running not even in the field these injuries aren't happening they're happening running to first base like the simplest of things it's like me walking to my fridge or walking to the bodega and i like tear a muscle in my hamstring which is probably happened to me these guys are running yeah, the you first. walked it off you were fine yeah i walked it off and, and got the devil dog got the coffee cake and and went, went about my business and came home but you might have to put a dj Khaled voice on as we go through this injury list michael conforto hamstring injury mri monday jeff mcneil hamstring injury mri monday another one brandon nimmo rehabbed friday hurt his index finger again while rehabbing so we don't know when he's back another one jacob Degrom, right side tightness on the il might be back friday another one jd davis rehabbing bruised left hand but we'll play in rehab games this week so we finally might get jd davis even though vr has been solid you could put him more in a platoon role there another one albert amora ran into the wall was murdered he's dead but on the il and somehow still alive another one luis guorme oblique not ready yet another one seth lugo good news will rehab this week we expect Expect him back by the end of the month. A loose body in his elbow. I have a loose body in my belly right now from the chicken parm hero I just had for dinner. Another one. Carlos Carrasco was supposed to be back, but a rehab uh, setback, torn hamstring. He'll be back in June. Another one. Dellen Batances. Some say he might not pitch again in a Mets uniform. He's on the 60-day dial with shoulder impingement. I can't even speak through these injuries. Another one. Noah Syndergaard recovering from Tommy John surgery. Likely return in June. Another one. And finally, Jose Martinez out until July, August. Uh, knee surgery. Another one. 12 players, Figgy. And like you said, we talk about depth, but there's a certain point where you're like, Nelson Figueroa is coming into the pitch. Like, we're hitting that point where Figgy's about to come out of retirement and throw his 86-mile-an-hour fastball. Yeah, I mean, you look around and you're starting to look at who can play where and do what. They were looking at Tomas Nito if they needed him to try and play a position. The new kid who just came up, Haggerty, is uh, in for the by trade, and he was had to play right field. And that showed because he misplayed a ball right away and let another run score in that ball game today. So that's not what you want to have out there right now. You know, you're still in first place, got a lot of injuries piling up and everything else, but hopefully they can get some uh, able bodies to help them in this next series coming up against the Braves because the Braves have uh, not been up to that level that they were supposed to be as well. That's the whole crazy part about this National League East is that if the Mets were healthy and clicking on all cylinders or really just two, if they could hit timely hitting and drive in runs and the, you know, the guys that you expected to be batting more towards the 300 mark than the 200 mark, if they were able to, you know, hit their weight, then you would have a much different outcome in these games. Instead of having, you know, the the three, four game lead that they had that dissipated very quickly and now they're a half game above the Phillies, they're going to have to fight and claw again to just stay afloat till the Calvary comes back whenever they get off the IL. Yeah, and luckily Lugo seems like he was coming back soon. We hope Nimmo is back this week, but who knows with that setback. We hope J.D. Davis is back this week. It seems like DeGrom will start Friday when the Mets are in Miami. They got three against the Braves here. Like you said, the Braves... 
you know, they're not the normal Celtics, but they're 19 and 21. They've battled through injuries too with Acuna and some guys. So they're going through it. A lot of teams are just going through it. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the weird off season with COVID and the weather changes. You know, my allergies have been killing me. I don't know. Not hamstring, but God, I have been stuffed as a mother effer. So the Claritin is not doing the trick. Maybe these guys need to take Claritin. Maybe they need to take more Tylenol. We might have to bring on a doctor on this show to figure out what the <laughs> hell is going on with this team. It's rough to see a lineup every day and have no idea i mean james mccann was the dh the other day and i was like huh but now when i think about it you're looking all these guys out it's like maybe that they were forced into that position uh your hope is to never see tomas nito and mccann in the lineup at the same time and speaking of mccann man i mean lindor has been bad at the plate we know that he's been struggling it's tough to watch McCann has not been good either, and it's making us think about JT Realmuto and other options more. Their defense for both of them have been saving graces, but this is a lot different of a team, and we're, this is still first place. We're talking like the Mets are fit. I mean, they're still a half game up, 18 and 16, but the way the newest acquisitions Lindor and McCann have hit, and even with Alonzo's struggles too, I mean, the offense is not doing themselves any favors, and, you know, they, they got McCann early, Figgy. They decided he was their guy. He's been he's got the McCannon, but he's got to start hitting a little at least his weight hit 240 or 250. Look, man, Mazika and him have the same amount of home runs. Put that in perspective. Everybody thought and they, they, they think this all the time in baseball. Oh, just give him the same amount of at bats as you would give a starter extrapolated. It. It's going to be from, you know, he had nine and in 110 at bats. Just imagine if you times six will hit 54. No, he won't because he's not going to get fastballs to hit on first pitches because nobody cares who James McCann is in Chicago White Sox when Grand Dahl is the guy who swings for the fences all the time. So when they're like, oh man, James McCann's in the lineup. Ah, just get ahead of him. Throw him a first pitch fastball. He's not getting that anymore, but he's still swinging for it. He's still swinging and chasing balls outside the strike zone. He's still not putting the ball in play with any kind of authority, but this was a guy who was supposed to have figured it out. You know, he's a, a late bloomer and everything else. Backup catcher are backup catchers for a reason and they have some success in limited dosages this is true for a lot of the players a guy like vr look he can play baseball man he can play multiple positions and the game doesn't change for him when you are used to being a backup where yeah you're going to play every sunday or every day game after a night game kind of situation you can prepare all you want for that you can be ready just for that and, and you know you're you're always ready obviously you're a professional but at the same time you go 0 for 4 or you know you can take daddy hacks and you're 0 for 4 and you catch one of them and then everybody thinks oh wow this is great to have a backup like this when they get an opportunity to play every day they get exposed it's no secret and there's a reason why those guys don't get the the big contracts based on you know extrapolating the numbers the Mets gave them decent money don't get me wrong it's, it's 10 million dollars it's 10 million dollars and it's still very early into his Mets career his defense he was like a hockey goalie back there Friday night was like a hockey goalie back there blocking every ball in the dirt from Castro in the later innings and constantly keeping the ball in front of him but we have seen some weird stuff happen to him as well where what was it? Stroman struck out the pitcher with bases loaded. Ball gets by him for two runs that score. And that's what they lose two to one. So it, it's been very, I think, again, it's not the same amount of money as Lindor, but it was the same amount of importance in an everyday player, right? You wanted this guy to come in here and hit you 30 home runs, driving the ball all over the place. You know that his power's right center field. And yet I've seen him do nothing but pull the ball on the ground as hard as he can. And it, it's just been disappointing to say the least, because you would hope that the new approach coach or the new hitting coach, uh, what, what's his name again? Quackenmeyer. Hugh Quettlebaum. 
Hugh Quattlebaum, you would hope that, and everybody was like, oh, see, Chile was the problem. And I broke down the numbers to you guys. I said, in the seven games that they won, they were hitting still the same way that they were hitting while Chile was at the helm. Now, all of a sudden, because the pitching staff pitched so unbelievably that the three runs a game, they actually got up to five runs a game. And that's great. But it wasn't because of, remember, during that streak, you had Mazika giving two RBIs on ground balls that never got out of the infield. So it wasn't that they scorched a double in the gap to clear the bases. We haven't seen any of that, although Mazika did crush that ball today. No doubter for his first major league hit. So he's finally got that up. Mazika magic, McCann tragic. That's the story (laughs) of the Mets catching situation. It is what it is for right now. I, I just, we keep saying it, right? It was, all right, April's done. Now we're into May. We're officially halfway through May. Well, now we say at what point does Nito start and McCann is on the bench, I think is the question we're going to have to ask in about a week or two here. Well, it's going to have to be more of a timeshare until you're getting some kind of production out of him. Quite honestly, Nito was actually hitting the ball. I think Nito Nito has better numbers than McCann across the board when it comes to extra base hits, RBIs, and everything else. And the Mets love pitching to him. He's a catch-and-throw guy as well. Defensively, he's been very, very good. I'm still positive. It's only the 15th. We're only halfway through the second month of the season. These guys cannot possibly hit this poorly. All of baseball's hitting. Man, I've watched so many games this week, and I'm looking at guys barely batting 200. A lot of 200 hitters. Going, going, up, going up with these awesome walk-up songs. I'm like, I wouldn't even want you to play music if I'm batting this low. I want to hide. You shouldn't be able to get walk-up music yeah, unless you're They might have to start playing like Beethoven for these guys. Something like super simple. Dude, like- it, is so, it is so bad. It is so bad to, to realize the state of what offenses look like right now. And, you know, just a few years ago, you would say, man, there's at least two 300 hitters, maybe a third 300 hitter on that team. You can't find a 300 batting average anymore. It's like the top 10 leaders, you're, you're going down all the way. Number 10 is at 250, 240 almost. And the stats for the major leagues. And that's crazy to think about where I used to tell kids hitting is the hardest thing to do on the planet in any sport. Hitting a major league fastball or major league pitching is the hardest thing to do in any sport. Why? Because it's the only sport and it's the only thing that you can do and get paid to do it. And you can fail seven out of 10 times and be an all-star. Right now, they're failing eight out of 10 times and still walking up there with their walkout songs like they're the baddest man on the planet. It's amazing to watch the, how mind frame has changed in baseball where it's not putting the ball in play. It's not making things happen, which was Mazika magic again. I can't believe this is the most we're going to say Mazika, I'd hope. We're no longer looking at just putting the ball in play and making things happen. It's take the big swing until you can't take the big swing anymore. I mean, I know Peter Alonso didn't want to take a golden sombrero in his first time down in Tampa. That's his hometown where, you know, he's in front of family and friends and took a, go- a golden sombrero right there uh, you know the very first game of this series so it's it's been hard to watch a guy like jeff mcneil who for the first two years of his career puts the ball and play all over the place and you're seeing a lot of big swings and misses and when they do make contact it's been this weak kind of contact where we're not seeing the balls or at least three four hits in an inning i can't remember the last time i saw three or four hits in an inning these signs are outside every baseball stadium wanted 300 hitters. Can we find one? It's like when, when someone loses their cat or dog and you see on the post on the corner, like <laughs> looking for a uh, dog, Cheryl, seven pounds, six ounces, golden retriever. We're looking for 300 hitters. The only ones we got are Jacob DeGrom and, and J.D. Davis and Brandon Nimmo, all who are not active right now as the walking wounded head into Atlanta. The only saving grace of the weekend was Jake at SNL. I mean, what a, what a time to be a 
alive. Who would have thought? As I mean, who would have thought? SNL, Drew Brees, Jake Brown, Jeff Nelson. Name a more iconic trio. I will wait. Keegan-Michael Key, Figgy, he is just hysterical. I mean, he is one of the best. Key and Peele, you've yeah. seen Key and Peele. Oh just my God, hilarious. Phenomenal. We need to get him on the show. He is just outstanding. I know he's a Yankees fan, but one of the best and uh, quite the experience being there. I actually went. It was pretty funny. They go go in the pre-show. Breeze walks up in this waiting room. They give you one drink. I try and go to a different lady to get a second drink at the SNL pre-thing. And she noticed me. She's like, no, one only. She would not let me take a second drink. They must not want people to get too tipsy or drunk for the show because I went for a second can and she denied me quicker than a hot woman at at a bar at City Field or something. It was insane. <laughs> so SNL is a is a, a bucket list item that I checked off the list in a weekend that had nothing else going for the New York Mets as they go to Atlanta, try to get healthy, try to get everyone back, at least a couple players back this week, and we'll see which ones will and still in first place. That's what counts. And Mazika, good for him. You know, he crushed that homer. He's got a hit to his name. His first hit involves an RBI. It doesn't get better than that. He's got Hall of Fame numbers, one for seven, two walk-offs, a homer, four RBIs. He will not be a write-in on the All-Star ballot. He will be under the catcher position for the Mets. Joining us next on Amazing But True is the public address announcer for the Mets. That would be Colin Cosell. And joining us now on Amazing But True, you heard his voice earlier in the show when you heard the intro music. And then this guy, that would be Colin Cosell. He's the Mets public address announcer at City Field. He's the PA announcer for the New York Riptide, the Brooklyn Cyclones, Stony Brook. He is Howard Cosell's grandson. He's Greg Cosell's second cousin. He's got a family tree. You can look him up on 23andMe.com and find his family uh, tree archive. Colin, welcome to Amazing But True. So glad to finally have you on the program. Jake, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for that uh, that perfect intro. You uh, you basically told my entire life story, and I could not thank you more. And his bird <laughs> is being flipped in my face as he as he gave that reply, and I respect it completely. Welcome to the show, man. How is uh, how's it back uh, to be back at the ballpark with fans? Because you know, me and Figgy were there in, in like cutout form last year, but we were not present in the building, and that must have been eerie with the piped in crowd noise. But this year, you're in the building, and there's fans in the building. It must be glorious. I mean, it, it is amazing, and it's less awkward than you breaking the fourth wall. You know, to actually have real fans there and not have piped-in sound, which was great. Our production crew was on top of it, and they had reactionary things. They had actual audio of the fans doing a Let's Go Mets chant with the, the cowbell guy and, like, the whole thing going on. And it was good. If you closed your eyes, it felt like you were there. But, you know, to actually have fans back in the stands and have the true New York reactions is, you can't replace that. And I just look forward to building the crowd more and more as the season progresses. It, it makes my job a lot easier, and I know the players feed off of it as well. Yeah, without a doubt, that's one of the biggest elements, right, of the home field advantage is being comfortable with those noises. You said they piped in, you know, some reactionary things that seemed authentic. We know what it was like for Edwin Diaz when the, the noises were from real people. He wasn't going to get the boos or the sighs or the oh my gods that he was getting just a year prior. And he had a really good year last year. This year he started out pretty strong. He struggled, you know, as of recent days. But he's one of those players that I think crowd noise and crowd reaction, 
you know, you could tell a difference in a player. I think you can probably relate to this, Figs. Like you, when you have a crowd behind you to become a professional athlete, it's not just your ability on the mound and your ability at the plate and your ability on the field. It is your ability to actually take everything going on around you, that actual atmosphere of having the crowd either being with you or against you and wanting you to perform to a certain level and to actually have a crowd there to let you know whether or not they accept or reject you is part of being a professional athlete. And there's, there's a very, you know, there has to be a certain skin that comes with that. Now, that is also situational based on geography. If you're in New York City, then my God, you either perform or just get ready to get booed. And if you can handle the booze and build yourself back from that, then boom, you belong in New York. If not, then maybe you belong in, in Dallas or, you know, San Francisco or something. But like, it, it is all entirely based on where you're at and how you're able to handle that. And I think that is one of those unspoken things about being a professional athlete, your ability to handle the crowd. And Diaz right now has the best walk-up song in all of sports. When he comes out there to to Narcos, it's mind-blowing what it does to the crowd. We this season started giving fake trumpets. Actually, no, they're real trumpets, but they're like $20 trumpets off Amazon Prime um, to Mr. and Mrs. Met, and we put them on City Vision, and they're sitting there playing along with the song. The crowd gets into it, and everyone loves it, and out of walk-up songs or entrance songs you know, for pitchers or batters, like there's nothing better than that, and Diaz right now is in a comfortable position where he's got a new catcher catching tandem that he's very comfortable with, and we're starting to see a exactly why we traded for him and he's one of the best in the game it's amazing yeah don't say that to the jared kalenic uh, lovers out he had a three hit day the other day but uh we'll see what he does this year and yeah i always look up to the coke corner if i'm not sitting there and look for mr and miss met approaching the ninth inning with their uh plastic trumpets or amazon prime trumpets whatever you want to call them and it's electric when he does come in the game follow colin on twitter by the way at cosell pa when did you realize colin that you had this kind of booming voice and could be become a PA guy was it just you know watching and hearing your grandpa or was it just you were born with it or when you got older you know puberty hit and you had this booming voice when did it come um you know it definitely wasn't when I first fell in love with the microphones because that was when I was five years old and at that point there is no booming voice at age five I don't care who you are James Earl Jones probably is just like I am your father no yeah, like, I it, think it James Earl cool. Jones is still the same that's he's might be the yeah, one he was born with it his first words were just like mama like he just, it, that was the way he spoke from day one. You know, when I, I first fell in love with microphones, you know, my grandfather was doing his radio show from his house out, summer home rather, out in Long Island in West Hampton Beach. And I just, I saw this microphone and headphones and I was kind of like, what, what's that all about? And my grandmother said, you know, why don't you come see what Papa does? So I sat on his lap, I put on the headphones and I spoke into a microphone for the first time. It was my first air check and it was with his producer, whose name is Eddie, don't know his last name. And basically I was like, I don't know what this witchcraft is, but this is really cool. I love microphones and I want this to be my career. And then throughout my my life, there were very few opportunities to actually use a microphone and talk into it. But I can tell you, it's really funny that you bring up, you know, the puberty years in middle school and high school. Whenever we, we were in English class, they'd say, you know, can you, everyone's going to read a passage from, you know, like a Steinbeck novel. And I would read it. And for no reason whatsoever, I just went into like newscaster mode. And I was just like, all right, this is a uh, the following is a passage from Of Mice and Men. Tell me about the rabbits, George. At which point, 
And he turned to him with a gun and shot him in the back of the head. And everyone was just like, and now sports and now weather. And it was just like, I'm sorry. This is just the way I did it. Like, it was just natural for me. For the voice to start booming, like, that was just, I don't know. I uh, Eventually, it was just a uh, testosterone kicked in. I was just like, I'm a man now. This is the way I talk. Yeah, that and whiskey. Whiskey really helped. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's one of the things, though. I, I've been around a lot of different, you know, radio guys, people in the industry. And, and there are guys who can't turn it off. Off. Like they can't turn the voice off and they're in that voice all the time. Harry Callis, who was, you know, for the Phillies, Harry was that guy, no matter what you just ask, Hey, Harry, you got the time? Why it's one o'clock in the afternoon. Young man. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the lobby. You know, how, how did you sleep? You did it. Okay. And bottom of the, no, it's not bottom of the ninth. Listen, I just wanted to know the time. So Harry Callis was that guy that couldn't turn it off. It's a balance that you have to have. I'm sure. I mean, I, listen, I, you know, like this is, this is kind of just the way I talk. Um, you know, it, it's usually a little more reserved. Like when I wake up next to my wife, I'm not like, I love you. And I hope you had a very good night's rest. You know, like it'll be like, Hey, honey, how are you? You're also not talking into a scarlet four I four or whatever. You're talking just in a normal <laughs> natural element as we had a 30 minute discussion about your microphone before we started. That is true. But, um, you know, there, there is a certain thing with like where I turn it on actually, all right, very candidly. And by that, I mean, now, it's going out to your podcast but if if i have like a really good buzz going i suddenly like to compensate for it because one of the greatest things i learned about acting is the hardest thing you can do as an actor is play drunk because when you're drunk and you're in public you're trying to act as sober as possible so that is a double down on acting so I'm like, my God, that just happens naturally. So as soon as like I've got a good buzz going, I'll be like, no, don't worry. I'm going to cover this tab. And people are like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? And I'm like, this is just how I talk. And please take my credit card. I've covered it. He'll get the tip. And I'll be like, do you need a cab? And I'm like, obviously, yes. <laughs> this is Movie Phone. Yeah. Two for show times, three for theaters, a movie phone. four to order candy and popcorn. No breathalyzer. Just make a phone call. And as soon as they hear your voice, they're like, oh, okay, yep, we're going to send a car for him. Yeah, they're like, uh, sir, can I have your license registration? Sure can. Actually, no, I'm just going to put these cuffs on you. You're done. And I'm like, how do you know me? <laughs> <laughs> Did your wife fall in love with the voice? Was it the voice that uh that real like were you the Barry White uh in nope. the streets and in the sheets or definitely not. It is just my dashing good looks and my charming personality. <laughs> my wife is 13, 12, 12, 13 years younger than me. So I, I realized I said my wife is 13, and I was just like, that is definitely how <laughs> you stop this thing. And amazing my wife, I was the hoping earth. you were gonna continue. <laughs> <laughs> stop the show. Anyway, born and raised in West Virginia, it's normal there. No, um, I, uh, but no, she's she's twelve, thirteen years younger than me. I don't know exactly how she fell in love with me because she's gorgeous. Like she is everything I wish I was when I was her age, and something I thought was completely unattainable. And for some reason, she just she just really likes me for me, not because I look like Leonardo or uh, what other the rest of the song lyrics are. Well, I thought you were closer to my age, so that makes more sense. So that means she would be closer to my age and, and you're in you're in you're in your age stay away we, from my wife jake we, we won't <laughs> don't worry you know I, I don't have the golden uh the golden pipes that you do over there colin she she fell she fell in love with me when i was bartending 
I was a bartender. I had been a broadcaster for five plus years, had won three Emmys with MSG Varsity, and the network went under, and I suddenly fell into bartending. It was just like, oh, this is good. I can talk to people, serve them drinks, and also drink on the side. And it was just like, you know, something to do. And then I quickly got poached into like major sports bars in Manhattan and then became a man, uh, manager of one of them. And they had brought in this this new waitress. And I was just like, you know, in New York City, that's kind of a, a revolving door of actors and actresses who are just like trying to make some money in the meantime before they make it to Broadway. Way or Hollywood or what have you. And she has been on this journey with me from day one and has stayed with me the entire way. And the fact that she stayed with me after day one is amazing. But, uh, <laughs> you know, everything thereafter, you know, it's just a testament to like, you know, she's my soulmate. I'm sorry that it went from really funny to really sappy, but uh, it's true. Welcome to The Bachelor here on Amazing Mature. We listen, we talk about my dating life and uh, which girls I bring to Mets games like in every episode. So it's it's all part of the, part of the fun here. Um, when you go sport to sport, what what, like, were you always like a, a lacrosse guy and then you're doing college sports and you're doing uh, softball and you're changing sport to sport? Does it change your mindset, how you prepare, or is it just you calling out names and making it exciting? Again, I had the luxury of, of working for MSG Varsity and then subsequently Rise and Files One Sports. And so I covered myriad sports from, you know, football to wrestling to uh, girls and boys lacrosse, uh, hockey and field hockey. Like, I mean, every possible sport out there, with the exception of curling, which I would love to do one day. So if any of your listeners have a connection to curling, I want to do that or at least learn how to play the sport so I can possibly win in, uh, you know, a, a gold medal uh, in the Olympics. But, I'm going to give us a live um, curling call right now and he's brushing and it gets closer 10, five feet away. Like, how would you call a curling match? I don't even know. I'd be like, this dude is sweeping his butt off <laughs> and they are screaming at him and he's okay with it. Uh, and all I know it, is I, whenever it comes I, to sports like that, Bob Mennery is all I bring into mind because that's exactly uh, how yeah. you have to call it. Just let, yeah. let it flow naturally. Yeah. Drop a yeah. couple yeah. of F-bombs in there and it, it all makes sense. 100%. And I came very close to doing so, you know, right there. <laughs> like I just got so amped about it, a curling match in my brain as I was saying that. But it's funny when, you know, my, my first professional PA gig was with the New York Empire. And who are they, you might ask? They are a member of the AUDL, the American Ultimate Disc League, which is Ultimate Frisbee, which to those who have heard of Ultimate Frisbee, that's something that a bunch of stoners play in the quad in college. But or, it's actually mar a marching band, sport. too. Marching band in yeah. high school, they played it. And, but, uh, dude, <laughs> they like watching the pros do it, these guys, they're insane. They're aerodynamic rugby players, essentially. They're nuts. So when I was working at the bar that aforementioned where I met my wife, I was running trivia night. And one of the owners of the trivia league that they would like, you know, give us the questions that I would, the whole thing, they ran it and they just kind of gave me the questions and I would address the crowd. I would start by letting everyone know who was working that night in the bar. And I would do it a la like 80s, 90s Chicago Bulls. I would start it with Sirius by Alan Parsons Project, and I would let them know who was working for them, who was on the floor, who was in the kitchen, who was behind the bar. And one of the owners of the league heard this and was just like, do you want to be our PA announcer? And I was just like, sure, why not? So it's a fringe sport, whatever. So then I learned a thing or two about that, and I was running the music and the copy and all that. And then when I landed the job with the Mets in, in 2018, you know, everything there is very strictly regimented, and there's like time 
time frames you have to work within and it's scripted so like it's it's very you know just if you can read words off a page and people like your voice you're going to be good and then that spawned off into the new york riptide and the the new york open for the atp uh, tennis tour and it varies sport to sport but when it comes to the riptide it is a culmination of everything i've done in my entire career my background in theater my background is a stand-up comic my background is play-by-plays color commentary all of that i have free reign with the riptide so literally they encourage me to antagonize the opposing team like i'm told that you were too light on them i'm like i just said they smelled like garbage juice like the juice that gathers in the bottom of a garbage bag they're like that is too nice and i'm like all right then next game i'll make sure i attack their mothers no don't do that that's that's too far i'm like all right fine i'll find the happy medium between garbage juice and mom attacks but it, it literally varies from sport to sport and that's what keeps it exciting and fresh for me because it's no two sports are alike as a pa announcer you know, of course, growing up with a, that famous of a last name and having a microphone in front of you, there's got to be a side to grand, your grandfather that a lot of people don't get to know. It's not like this day and age where everything gets put out on social media. So I, we talked a little bit before we got on about, you know, how would your grandfather have dealt a lot with social media? He was known as the mouth that roared uh, and his unofficial catchphrase was telling it like it is. And I think while he would assume there was too much information going out there and too many words being said by too many people that was too many knee-jerk reactions he also would have been victim to that you know like he he would have been like okay you're an idiot and here's why and would have completely eviscerated myriad people on a daily basis on twitter but it also would have been a constant onslaught and that would have been exhausting for him you know like at, at his day and age it was you're hearing from people on the street you know like they're like hey howie i think you're a schmuck and, you know like i'm a fan of the the cowboys and you said you know like why they're not going to be good this year it's just like because they're not going to be good this year and that's end of conversation but if it's on twitter and you're just like i don't you know, i think the jets suck and they're never going to win a championship ever in this lifetime it's just like it's an onslaught of people just coming at you and then you have to be very selective about it and i think that would have been kind of overwhelming for him you know because he was of a certain ill and a certain time and a certain upbringing of broadcaster that no one had seen before. You know, like it, it was still a work in progress and figuring out who you were as a broadcaster, what your voice was, what you can say. It was still kind of the Wild West of broadcasting at that time. So I think he would have utilized it in a certain way, but it, he probably would have had a, a few handlers around him being like, all right, Howard, it's okay to just turn off Twitter or stay away from Facebook and, and not do that. So again, it, it would have been another platform for him, but um, how he would have utilized it it's tough to say do you have any cool stories as a kid growing up and while he was towards the i guess the latter end of his career that you could share with our listeners after my grandmother passed um howard's wife passed in uh, november of uh, 1990 it destroyed him you know like that that was the love of his life that was his partner his best friend his confidant his his everything howard was a stubborn sob they say like you know if the 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 husband loses the wife it's like two more years and then you know like he's gone especially if they're older for howard he was a stubborn sob so he decided to stick around another five years all that aside those five years were were very tough he was failing little by little but it was Labor Day weekend of 1992, I want to say. And I was out at his beach house in West Hampton Beach. And I was in the pool. I think everyone else was at the beach or scattered about. And uh, Howard and Papa was uh, sitting there watching TV inside the house. So it was just the two of us. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> my grandfather comes out onto the deck. 
and he goes, son, you've got to come in here right away. You have to see this. And I was just like, okay. I thought I might be in trouble. I didn't know what was going on. And so I was just like, Papa, everything okay? It's like, you've got to come see. You've got to come join me right now. I was like, fine. So I swear, I levitated right out of the pool, grabbed a towel as fast as I could, toweled off, came up to the second level. I was like, Papa, what's going on? Is everything okay? It's just like, there is a one-armed pitcher for the New York Yankees about to get a no-hitter. You have to see this. So I was like, fine. So I sat down on the couch with them, probably getting the couch soaked did not matter in this moment. Like Papa said, get in here. You need to see this. And we sat there and we watched Jim Abbott pitch a no-hitter. And we watched the end of the game. He completed it. And my grandfather turned to me and said, son, never forget this moment. This is the triumph of the human spirit. This is something you need to remember. And I said, I obviously here I am 20 years later, almost 30 years later. And yeah, that, that's something that, that has always stayed with me. That was a father and son moment that was with my grandfather and uh, something I will take with me to the grave. It, it was something that was so important to him because he was such a an advocate of the minority athlete, but also the underdog. And this was the perfect embodiment of the underdog story. A one-armed pitcher, a man whose one job is to use his arm, and he's got one and a half, and there he is getting a no-hitter. And it was amazing. Wow. That's a great story. Yeah, that's. I don't even know how to react. Jeez, I'm getting emotional over here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna... When we come back on... <laughs> <laughs> I had to go to our commercial break here. Uh, play the elevator music right now. Jeez. And you do it with, you said, is it Mar- Mar- Marisol? Marisol Castro. Marisol, yeah. Marisol, Marisol Castro. That's got to oh, be fun. Jake can't roll his R. Marisol, yes. Son of, I'm telling you right now, one of the hardest things, and Jake knows this now because he's been in Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy, he cannot roll his R's to save his life. So for you, what's the hardest name you had to announce at the stadium? I love this question because it it should be very simple. Backstory. So each season, Major League Baseball sends us a pronunciation guide, a prono chart for every single team. And that also includes whether or not they want to be called Mike or Michael or Junior or just, you know, as is, whatever, prefix, suffix. For no reason whatsoever, Eugenio Suarez of the Cincinnati Reds, third baseman, on paper is Eugenio or para español Eugenio Suarez. That's fine. For no reason whatsoever. It's Eugenio Suarez. And I'm like, geez, you know, dude, you don't need it to be a polysyllabic (laughs) name. And I hated him for it. I struggled (laughs) through it so hardcore. And then he won me over. He won me back over. There was a night in 2019 where there was a like massive electrical storm coming into City Field. And there was this massive, huge, frightening lightning bolt that was like just outside of left field, right past the stadium. And it was a crack and it was frightening. And everyone else was just kind of like dumbfounded, like, hey, what was that? Suarez was gone. It was a cartoon cloud of smoke. Homeboy was done. He was in the dugout. He was long gone, never to be seen again. And I was just like, you, sir. You have your finger on the pulse of safety and awareness. And he was just, I'm like, you know what? We're okay now. I appreciate you, Eugenio, Eugenio, so I you know, whatever. I will go through every possible syllable I can to get your name right, because I appreciate your fear of getting struck by lightning and just gone. Like, it was amazing. Have you ever messed one up where the family or him or someone said something to you where you, you screwed the name up? Or have you been flawless? 
that's a, another great question because I learned very quickly my third game ever, and it was June. It was Tuesday, June fourth. It was an afternoon game against the Baltimore Orioles, twenty eighteen. Eric Rickard, uh, and I don't even know if he's in the league right now. So here's the messed up thing about it. One of my best friends in the world was the PA announcer for the past nine years for the Baltimore Orioles. We were best friends before either of us became PA announcers. And then by some happenstance, we both got this job. There are 31, 32 of us in the world that are PA announcers in Major League Baseball. And two best friends, one from Baltimore, one from Connecticut, both got these jobs. Sounds like a Netflix special in the making, right? Isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Much better than Tiger King. So he, um, <laughs> so, so I, I reached out to him. I was just like, hey, dude. And I was like, um, you know, can you help me with some of these pronos? Like, uh, blah, blah, blah. And he wrote Rick Ard, A-R-D. And I was just like, oh, Ricard, like Jean-Luc Picard of, you know, Starfleet Enterprise. Um, no. What I learned is very quickly... My job is to get the player's pronunciations right. Anything else I do, if I stumble, whatever it is, fine. That doesn't matter. You need to get the player's names right, and it needs to be within a certain time frame. I introduced someone as just like the second baseman, Eric Ricard. And my boss just suddenly showed up. And he just like right there next to me. He was just like, what did you just call me? It's just like, Eric Rick, 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 Ricard, why? And he was just like, uh, no, let's look at the prono book. And he was just like, Rickard. And I was just like, I, I didn't know. He was just like, don't let it happen again. I was like, I, I swear I won't. And he was already gone. And um, a single tear fell down my cheek as if I just watched trash being thrown onto a sidewalk. And it was a frightening moment for me. I have never mispronounced a name since. It will never, ever happen again. But Eugenio Suarez, if you're listening, brother, I love you, but I hate you. That's nerve wracking for me. I know when I, you know, got into broadcasting and I'm doing SNY for the first time. When Cespedes came over, you know, oh. I, I, <laughs> you that's see, a good one. That it is because I've heard it pronounced 72 different ways. Depending, I played against him in the Dominican Republic when he first defected from Cuba, and he was a Dominican, but before he even signed with Oakland. And so we're playing against him, and to hear the Dominican announcer say his name was totally different than you would hear an American announcer say it. So when I was saying it, I would get the same look. I'd get the look from the producer like, what are you doing? I go, that's how you pronounce it. Uh, no, it's not pronounced that way. Remember, they just started the, the whole one accent, put the accent on it movement. Without that, it was always, you know, people were messing up names all the time. So now that, that people are taking it more and more serious, I totally get it because it, I, I had to really focus on it. It started becoming like the names that I always just said, you know, haphazardly where I was like, oh, I better pay more attention to this thing because people take it so damn serious. And then they would be, oh, all over you, all over Twitter and everything else. Well, that's Can't the even thing, pronounce like it right. I was, I was given strict orders when I first started with the Mets to not look at social media whatsoever. Do not look up Colin Cosell. Do not look up PA announcer. Do not look up any of these key phrases. And of course, that's the first thing I did because I'm a glutton for punishment. But to your point, you know, like now before I prep for a series, I will go through the 40 man roster, see what names I know or don't know. And now I'm, you know, I'm in my fourth season, so I'm familiar with most of them. But like there's someone that's going to be called up or brought in. I will then go through YouTube and see what. What the home announcers are saying and see what they had back in whatever their native country is and find that happy medium of how it should be pronounced because I'm very good with replicating certain pronunciations with certain dialects. Marisol, she's she's on top of that Latin Francisco Lindor. Um, I'm not afraid to do it myself. You know, as a gringo from Connecticut, I'm not afraid to do it myself. And <laughs> and the same thing goes, you know, there's a lot of people from, you know, Japan, Korean leagues, what have you in there. I want to make sure that I get it right so that when they hear it, if they're paying attention, they're going to be like, 
That is my name. Thank you. Name a more iconic duo. I'll wait. Colin Cosell and Mary Soul, because she, the way she said Lindor is incredible every time he yeah, comes to I, play. I can't replicate that. Can you yeah, roll your R's? It. Can Can you say uh, Cabrera or Francisco what, what Lindor? Did, what did you just say? Wait, why are you asking him to say? What did What did you just say? Cabrera. A Struble Cabrera. I, you know, cow. and as Druble as as Drubal Cabrera is there one of go. my favorites because I loved his walk up music. A lot of people, a lot yes. of players, it'll be like what their walk up song was. It was uh, Scooby Doo Pop Pop. My wife loved it as well, and we actually put it as a part of our 2018 summer playlist. <laughs> and it'll suddenly come on, and like it literally was like 20 seconds of that song. The third baseman as Drubble Cabrera, Scooby Doo Pop Pop, and a boom 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 boom, and like the song is just. It is pointless. It is right up there with Baby Shark in content and like anything that's worthwhile. But I love it. I, I'm all about that that walk-up song. Follow him on Twitter, at CoselPA. Colin Cosell, we appreciate you uh, coming on Amazing But True, man. No, thank you. Uh, I look forward to doing this weekly. This is Adios to episode 52, the Yoenis Cespedes edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Gracias, mis amigos. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Thursday following the Mets series against the Bloody Braves. Enjoy the series. Let's get back in the winning column. Let's go, Mets.